A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. This week, we've got the monthly magazine-style episode, packed with some of the voices who define modern British food. From the judges of this year's Delicious Produce Awards, led by Prue Leith, to the champion of regional British produce, Henrietta Green, and the founder of the very first artisan cookery school, Alison Swamparente. And of course, our very own rather croaky Karen Barnes, editor of Delicious Magazine, on what's piqued her interest among all the new trends arriving on her desk this month. Well, at the moment, we're very much in Christmas mode, so we've been doing a lot of gift guide selection. Um, But the other thing that keeps landing on my desk, probably two a week, are eco-cups, which are so of the moment for very good reasons. It's become such a thing now. Not It's almost embarrassing to carry your coffee in a cup that is a a throwaway cup. Um, So I thought it would be quite good to pick out some some of them that I think are good examples and the first one I've got here is called the R cup that one costs 12 pounds and it's actually made from old cups Mm -hmm. old coffee cups Um, and the good thing about that is it does actually seal so that you can carry it around in your bag this one that you've just picked up is a new one from the Eden Project, and this is actually made of bamboo. Mm, that's very pretty. And it's light, but you'll see it has a hole in the top. In fact, it's a beautiful colour. It comes in all different designs, but it's modelled exactly on a normal takeaway cup, yeah. so it's not water safe. You wouldn't put that in no. your bag. The lid comes off. You can drink through the and hole how in much the is lid. That, one? that one's only five pounds. Yeah, so, so that's, that's good the value. Kind of thing that you take to your Starbucks. And yes, you, you may well exactly. throw that one away. Whereas. The R cup is, is, is much more sturdy. It's much more likely to stay in your mm. bag, isn't it? I think the R cup is probably more designed for you to bring from home, and yeah. particularly if you're travelling on a train or maybe driving somewhere on a long mm-hmm. journey, putting that in your cup holder in your car. And then the third one that I really rate, which I we've featured in the magazine before, is the husk up, mm-hmm. which is made from old um, rice, rice husks. And... That, again, has a little hole in the lid, just like the one that we've been discussing. And it's uh, mid-price, that's nine ninety nine, and it's available direct from their website or Lakeland. Um, it's quite pretty. Again, that comes in different designs. But the interesting one about that one is that once it comes to the end of its life, it is actually biodegradable mm. over a long period of time. So you can put it on the compost heap and it will eventually break down. Amazing. So returning to the earth what came from the earth 
Now, you may remember that last month, Karen chose the first foundation degree in artisanal cooking as her find of the month, a collaboration between Nottingham Trent University and the School of Artisan Food, founded by former child psychotherapist and co-presenter of TV's Top of the Shop, Alison Swan Parente, MBE. For a slice of her life, I asked her about the moment when she first knew that she wanted to launch a school for artisan food. My first ever artisan business idea was on the back of my son's farm shop business. I retired at exactly the moment that he started his farm shop and I went into his farm shop every morning to change what he was doing, to make the labels better, to criticise his choice of apple variety. And after about three days, he said to my husband, just get her out of my shop. I don't care what you do, get her out of my shop and give her a bit of money to start a business, a tiny bit of money to start a business. So I decided that I would either buy modern photographs, which is what I really love, or start a bakery because I thought the bread in his farm shop was awful. So ethical social entrepreneurship is your bag. What was the moment that turned you into somebody who really cared about ethics in business? I have always been interested in politics and ethics. I am a child of the 60s. I was at the London School of Economics in 1968, Say No More. So I've always been very, very interested. I did, yes, absolutely. I was at the American Embassy. Uh, And so I've always been very interested in politics and ethics, and I think the first bit of my ethics came out of feminism. I think the politics of feminism really, really did inform the ethical stance that we took later on. You said when I walked in that food is equal only for a certain part of society. Do you want to explain that? Food is incredibly difficult uh, to talk about uh, without thinking about social uh, inequality. I think if you look at uh, the Trestle Trust and uh, food banks and the fact that 600,000 people were given three-day emergency food packages in between April and September last year, you can see that food poverty is an issue. It's not quite as big an issue as people think, in a way. It's only 4.1% of the population that live in real food poverty. But that's four people in every 100 people in this country. So when you're thinking about artisan food, you know, a wonder loaf or whatever it is, you know, surely would white sliced loaf um, costs £1.06 on average, whereas a sourdough loaf costs £2.16 on average. So you've got to think about why people would want to buy that much, much more expensive loaf when it's got a name like sourdough, which sounds pretty awful. So I think that I'm very, very interested in how to really begin to think about food poverty and food inequality because I actually believe that artisan food is good for you. I think it is a way forward and I think that we really are having to think about how to, for example, get very good bread into public sector institutions like hospitals and schools. What's the one thing that your students at the School of Artisan Food will take away and will change their life? I think the thing that is life-changing about what goes on at the school is that people become absolutely employable in a sector that they can be proud of. So I think that the artisan food sector produces good, healthy, 
probably affordable food in the end. And I think if people can get employment in that sector, they can not only contribute to their own lives, they can contribute to the culture, they contribute to their communities. It's good food, and good food is good for everybody. And for you, what's the one moment when one of your students said something or did something that changed your life? What's changed my life, really, is being able to see how students develop and transform themselves while they're with us. We have a quite long course. We have a a six-month course. And over that six months, people arrive who really feel that they can't do things and possibly feel pretty bad about themselves. And by the time they finish the course, they are accomplished, they're self-assured, and they know they're going to be able to make a living. And that really, really is important to me. It's 20 years since Borough Market turned a declining fruit and vegetable wholesale market into London's best-loved foodie destination and a celebration of the multicultural aspect of British food, its traditional origins and its new influences. But it was Henrietta Green who, in 1998, brought her Food Lovers Fair to Borough and with it, consumers hungry for a new foodie experience and paved the way for what it's become, an icon of British food culture. Or is it? Well, actually, I don't think Borough Market is an icon of British food. Um, Borough Market is a market of food from all over the world. Um, There are Italian, French, Spanish, whatever. When I set up the consumer market at Borough Market 20 years ago, my vision was that it would be a showcase for British producers. And when I gathered together my top 50... That's what they were all about. They were producing, they were growing, they were making in Britain. And some of them, of course, were making the continental style, but they were British-based. And that, to me, was the important focus. And that was perhaps my vision for Borough Market. We are one of the most diverse eaters, shall we say, in the world. We, you don't get the kind of the variety of eating that you might get here in Paris, for example, or Rome, where... No, but interesting, one of the reasons you don't get it is because people from their countries are much prouder and appreciate their own ingredients. Therefore, they tend to eat their own. Now, you might say that's rather boring. And here, when you look around for the sort of diversity that actually, gosh, you know, you can eat anywhere. But I think very often in the rush to embrace the new and the foreign and everything we often overlook our own which is a great shame and a great pity yeah I mean we're looking around we're looking at Bianca Moro's Spice Mountain uh, we've got Olivology around the corner we've got lots and lots of different as you say lots of foods from all over the world but tell me about some of the examples of British artisans that have been able to grow a really interesting food business here in Borough Market when I started the Food Lovers Fair at Borough Market, the first consumer market, um, and I was putting together all these producers, and I heard about this curious Yorkshire butcher, and I rang them up, and they were focusing on pigs, and I persuaded them to come down with their pork and insisted that they bought pork's head, pork trotters, because I knew people were really interested in food wanted to be able to buy them and you couldn't really buy them in any butchers it's the first time they'd ever sold to the public they didn't know what they were up to and guess who it was the ginger pig so 
look what's happened to them 20 years on. They've gone stellar. They've got shops all over the place. They do classes. They do this. They do that. So that is what's really exciting. You had Furness Fish. They came and they've now got great traders. They still concentrate on the same product areas. But they've grown and their business, wild beef. There are a few of the producers that I knew and that I bought into the market still here. What is interesting is that with my new venture, British Charcuterie, um, I'm now starting to work with various charcuterie producers from all over the country. So you look at the producers and they're divided into two. You've got the traditional British style with the cured hams that you have to cook, black puddings, Lincolnshire chine, faggots, hazlitt, and then you've got this whole new growth of producers, some of whom are farmers, breed their own pigs, rear their own pigs, and they are now making in the continental stuff. Now, I'm a great fan of making, if it's using British produce in whatever way you want, I just sometimes think we mustn't get too carried away and forget about our own and our own traditions. Look at cheeses. I mean, 25 years ago, when a similar awards were set up by Juliet Harbour, the British Cheese Awards, look where they now are. And you've got some very traditional ones here. You've got um, Trithawan Dairy. You've got some of the goat's cheese. Of course, you've got the wonderful Niels Yard Dairy, who've done more than anything to promote and... One of the originals. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can see that it can be done using our ingredients, using our traditions, being innovative, but still embracing and being proud of our own. That was what I wanted to achieve. That's perhaps what Borough Market has done best over the last 20 years. It has raised the bar in food in Britain. It may not be British food, and perhaps the future could be that Britons and all the other people who love to live in London will be eating British food here in Borough Market in the next 20 years. Well, let us hope so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Staying with Borough Market, award-winning food and drink writer and nomadic brewer Daniel Tapper has just harvested his hops, grown right in the giant market hall window at Borough for his latest Belgian-style beer called Saison. I asked him why he chose Borough. The reason we've opted to grow the hops for this beer right here in the centre of London is because we wanted to give it a sense of place, I guess, in the same respect as a French winemaker might do with their, their terroir. Um, we've utilised rainwater to irrigate the hops and then uh, spent coffee grounds from the market are fertilising them too. So it's a really sustainable beer as well. Mm. Now, you're a nomadic brewer. Now, this is a new term to me. I don't know if it is for, for many of our listeners. Explain what that means. So essentially it means uh, I'm an itinerant brewer and I don't own my own bricks and mortar brewery because I can't afford that. So instead, uh, very friendly, uh, welcoming brewers who own their own bricks and mortar premises invite me in and I come with my recipes and, and brew on their kit. So that makes it much more uh, available to people who've always been dreaming of being brewers but don't want to, you know, invest in it. Because you're actually a food and drink writer as well, aren't you, a journalist? Yeah, that's the amazing thing. So if you've just got an interest in beer and you've, you've say, taught yourself how to brew at home... The great thing is, if you find a brewery that's willing to let you in, you can just come right in there and create, you know, 2,000 litres of beer. And what are they doing? How come they've got a free mash tun for you? Uh, well, at the moment, we've seen the kind of proliferation of breweries across the UK. A lot of new breweries have got a little bit of spare capacity, and it kind of makes financial sense for them to let you use their kit whilst things are perhaps a little bit quiet okay. to start with. Okay. How do you fit that in? If people are listening and they want to do it too, how much time does it take out of your day? Um, so what I would recommend doing, first of all, is getting a homebrew kit and just experimenting on a tiny, tiny scale and doing lots, reading lots and lots of books. And then once, you've kind of, once you're happy and confident with your uh, brews, then perhaps, you know, just go and knock on the door of your local brewery, see if they've got any spare capacity and introduce yourself. Simple as that. Is that exactly what you did? That's exactly what I did, yeah. I mean, it helps to be friendly, I guess, and, you know, just be honest and say you want to create a beer. The trouble is the margins are really tight because you're having to pay the brewery to rent their kit. But the great thing is you don't have all the overheads. You can create smaller batches and you can just be a little bit more dynamic, which means you can, you know, make more experimental beers. And on the subject of brilliant business ideas, meet New Zealand chef... Andrea Waters, one of the three women who've set up what must be London's healthiest restaurant, Redemption Bar, which doesn't have a trace of alcohol, gluten, sugar, wheat or dairy in any of the drinks or dishes it serves. Over a plate of sweet corn pancakes, she told me how it's all just good old-fashioned kiwi cooking with a bit of a modern twist. So the sweet corn pancakes um, is an old recipe from my mum and um, I've had to adapt it to make it gluten-free and vegan. So she used to obviously use eggs and, and planta and wholemeal flour, but I've uh, replaced that. And, um, well, what do we use? We use we use lots of planta and we use um, buckwheat flour and we also use chia seeds inside. Now, from the business point of view, you know, you yeah. are three women of, you know, you two, you and Lisa are both in your, in your 50s. You've been here for yes. a long time. You've come from, both of you from New Zealand. Yep. Now, Catherine is a, a bit of a, a business guru, isn't she? Is, she? She's yes. Branson yep. protégé. So tell me about the, how the business came together. So, well, I think Catherine um, was out in Sydney with, with Virgin, launching something. And um, she just sort of started to get a bit disillusioned with the whole business um, work balance 
lifestyle and she saw something in Sydney that she wanted and she felt like she wanted to come back and do something on her own. So that's what she did. She decided to do something and then she thought something healthy living like you see in Australia, it's everywhere and there's so much option for healthy living and alcohol free. So she thought, I'll bring, I'll bring that idea back. Um, and so the, the, the sort of acorn, if you like, of redemption was born out of that. Um, and she met me through a nutritionist friend of mine. Lisa and I have worked together for 20 years. Um, and so the, it, it, it was a great sort of meeting of minds, I mm. guess. She had the idea. Lisa and I were wanting to open a healthy restaurant. When I say healthy something like we knew at home yeah. and that was all sort of sunshine something that means sunshine and colours and bright wonderful food. What you're doing here is is what, what's already been happening in Australia and New Zealand for a very very long time but yeah. it's pretty radical here isn't it? No alcohol no wheat, no dairy, no yeah. gluten, no sugar No sugar, yeah I suppose it is but I think it's getting less and less um, you know, radical um, and we're sort of saying you know, no alcohol, lots of people say why don't you just sell biodynamic wines or what have you and it's it's not about that we're just saying you know you can have a night off you don't have to have a night in you can still come out and socialise without it always being at the expense of your house you know we are surprised how popular we are being alcohol free people love that we do get lots of Muslims coming in here they love coming in for um, cocktails in the evening and it's great the girls it's great to see them they come in and they have desserts and they have some glamorous cocktails and you know it's such a nice scene in here you know of an evening it really really is I suppose we, we appeal to all sorts of people because there's nothing so you know it, it, we're kosher <laughs> we're, we're halal I mean yeah. we you know we don't serve alcohol so we we kind of cross all religions um, and um, all nationalities really it's that time of year again, the delicious produce awards. And the judges, led by Prue Leith and Karen Barnes, have been choosing the very best of artisanal food and drink from hundreds of entries from all over the country. Before Karen asked Prue about the day, Delicious Magazine's Phoebe Stone asked the judges about the awards and what they were looking for. Here's regular Delicious contributor, Santhi Clay. These awards give people the confidence to go out and buy the stuff from the small-scale producers for the little guys because it's been tasted by some of the best people in the business and if they say it's delicious, it's delicious. Delicious drinks editor Susie Atkins. I think it's especially important to do awards like this at the moment because there are simply so many new drinks on the UK scene. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful time for, for our drinks industry, but it is... There is no doubt in my mind that some are far superior to others, so we are unearthing the gems, if you like. So what I'm looking for in the drinks category, uh, above all else, are drinks that have good balance, and that means drinks, whether they're beers or wines or spirits, where all the flavours are knitted together and married together, so that's not too acidic or too sweet or any extra flavours don't poke through too much. It's elegance and balance that we're looking for. Great British menu judge. Andy Oliver. Clarity of flavour, depth of flavour, uh, quality of the raw produce, for instance, the meat and, and fish and things like that. But then also, you know, um, innovation. When people have done, you let their imagination run a little wild, but they're able to curate it for themselves. So they're able to be imaginative, but to kind of make it work and make it happen. You know, sometimes there are some things with this 53 million botanicals in something you think, okay, just putting, throwing everything at something is not the way forward. But some people 
do what they do carefully, thoughtfully and with precision and it has amazing, amazing results. Chef and food writer Gizzy Erskine. So as much as I'm so pro the movement of um, eating more veg the from the field, meat artisan product has probably been my favourite to judge. I'm a big fan of the pork pie and the sausage and uh, got very excited especially after the alcohol round. (laughs) So Prue, it's been wonderful having you judging the uh, Produce Awards today and chairing, keeping us all in order. How have you found the day? There were such exciting moments when all the edible flowers and micro leaves and stuff arrived see a whole lot of really hardened foodies who never get excited about anything (laughs) leaping at the box and trying to get hold of them and tasting them and then we had such good pork and such good beef and such good eggs and chicken and it's a joy isn't it when you taste so many things that are so good you just can't it's almost hard to decide which is going to be the winner there was hardly a duff note all day and we were all rather relieved when we found something to complain about because it's a bit it's a bit irritating having to say all the time this is perfect this is so delicious on the other hand this is the sort of cream of british produce a proper celebration of british food thank you so much for joining us thank you karen it was absolutely wonderful thank you And delicious food editor Jen Bedlow and her delicious food team Sophie and Libby were cooking up the winning selection for the judges. They found this month's top tip along the way. We were actually based in a trailer in Borough Market with two ovens, no hob, um, and we had access to the cookhouse at Borough Market where we were doing all sorts of wonderful prep for our steamed judges. And part of the challenge was obviously having things ready to time. And judges, being judges, like to sort of talk about a lot of these products in great detail. And so sometimes the timings were, were going a bit off. Anyway, one of the many behind-the-scenes um, examples of this was cooking the meat category. And we had some roasts that were being walked. It was about 140 steps we've worked out from the trailer to the cookhouse. And this meat needed to be at its supreme best. And our lovely roast chicken was... We just thought, you know, nod to Christmas. This is just a really brilliant reminder of how long meat stays hot after it's come out of the oven. Our wonderful chicken was kept warm under foil with tea towels over the top and walked from the trailer to the cookhouse and sat patiently. And when we carved it, the steam that came off and the beautiful succulent meat was incredible. And we just thought, gosh, that was an hour, just over an hour out of the oven. That's amazing. That's plenty of time to get those roast potatoes crisped yes. up to perfection. Um, you could have had a whole another raft of, you know, yeah. produce going in the oven. But actually, you know, we did we did it and it was um, a bit of a lifesaver, actually. <laughs> and thanks to Borough Market for hosting the judging. The winners will be announced in the January issue of the magazine. And so too our author of the week, Nikki Segnit, whose first book, The Flavour Thesaurus, is Yota Matalenghi's go-to companion in his test kitchen. Now he's written the foreword to her latest book, Lateral Cooking, which, as Nikki explains, is all about the continuum of food. Uh, I have taken about 80 start point recipes, and for each of those start point recipes, there are lots and lots of different flavours and variations. So, for example, um, flatbread on the bread continuum. Uh, and so I give a very basic recipe for flatbread, which is very easy. You can make your first ever bread by making a simple flatbread. But if you're a little bit further along your, you know, in your culinary life than that, you might turn to the flavours and variations and see that there's something called misi roti, which is an Indian bread made with chickpea flour, whole wheat flour, spinach and nigella seeds. 
or there's a fantastic Sri Lankan flatbread made with um, fresh grated coconut and flour and that's brought together with a bit of oil or that the similar method is used to make oat cakes or to make matzo crackers or to make um, even to make uh, noodles if you mm. use buckwheat and a bit of uh, plain white flour and bring it together you can and with a with a bit of deft rolling and some dusting with flour and so a nice sharp knife you can turn this into noodle really quite brilliantly and quickly turn it into these japanese noodles cook them in a bit of green tea pour over you know a few drops of good soy sauce and some sesame seeds and there is your lunch you made your japanese noodle that's just from the first starting point but that is as i say that's the first point on the bread continuum which then moves through soda bread it's just an easy step to get to soda bread soda bread is made in the same way as scones and cobbler so they're all together and then there's flavors and variations then we move into yeast bread then we move into buns and then we move into brioche and then we move into babas and just the, there are very small tweaks and jumps between those things and understanding the tweaks and jumps not only that can you start to get the idea of how to make these in your head without perhaps having to refer to a recipe all the time it teaches you a bit about ingredients as you go so you understand what is the difference if i if i put water in a kind of typical bread dough what happens if i add a bit of milk and what happens if i add an egg and what happens if i actually add loads of egg and only a little bit of milk and it just so you get an idea of what it, what the results are might teach you a little bit more about what um, the different ingredients do which for someone like me who finds reading science books a bit boring <laughs> I mean and I have to do it for my work but I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes reading those kind of very scientific explanations of how cookery works I switch off a bit yeah I'm kind of a bit more interested in what does it mean what does it look like and what does it taste like Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. I'll be back next week with a story of revolution from the vineyards of Bordeaux as young winemakers are bringing their fresh ideas to stir up one of the most classic of French wine regions. I'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 